Morning, everyone. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father God, as we gather around your word this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take it and apply it to our lives. We thank you that it is living and active and useful for us to learn from and apply to our lives. So, Holy Spirit, we take, pray that you will take your word and implant it in our lives. Inspire us, we pray today, from your word in Christ's name. Amen. Just like to invite Brian uh, to come and uh, read to us this morning from John's Gospel. Thanks, Brian. Good morning. I'm warmly reminded that it was about a year ago when I last read John chapter 1 out loud that I was with my dear friend Arnold Fool, who's now with the Lord. Arnold loved these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, he who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Amen. 
Thanks, uh, Brian. Thanks for reminding us of, of Arnold. Uh, if I remember rightly, Arnold's business was uh, called Access Champ. And um, that, he, he worked in the hospitality uh, trade and, and his, his business was aimed at making uh, hotels and other establishments accessible for d disabled people. And it just strikes me as, as Brian read John 1 this morning, you know, Jesus is our access champ, isn't he? He makes God accessible to us who are far away from him and don't have access to him. So, yeah, wonderful words. I want to focus in on uh, just one verse uh, and use it as a launch pad to think about some other words Jesus said. So I'll just ask um, Julie to put up the screen. Uh, John 1, 14, which Brian read to us a moment ago. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. One of the most amazing verses in the whole of the Bible, as, we've, as Brian's just read to us, John 1, this beautiful prologue story of uh, who we are dealing with when we think about the Word of God, Jesus, the Son. He was there with God in the beginning, and nothing which we see or hear or understand can have existence without the Lord say so. And yet here he was coming to earth as a man, taking on our human form so that we can be near to God, that we can understand what God looks like and what he sounds like and what he does and what it's like for us to be truly human. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it like this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. John Vanier, former leader of Lash Community, now with the Lord, uh, says this in his uh, beautiful devotional on John's gospel. Here is the heart, the center, the beginning and the end of the gospel. God, the eternal God, creator of the heavens and the earth, became like us a vulnerable mortal human being. He became as a baby needing a mother, conceived in her flesh, nourished at her breast, needing her love and the love and presence of Joseph in order to grow and develop as a human being. He dwelt among us, which can be translated, pitched his tent amongst us. He became a pilgrim and a brother, walking through the desert with us. He became part of history, revealing to us a way to God and to universal peace. What a man. And for some time now, the elders and leaders of the church have had this sense that What's to come for us as a church is not the same as what's gone before. God's blessed us over the last five or six years in so many wonderful ways, and we give thanks to God for that. But we've just had this growing sense that, the God, that God is doing a new thing with us here at New Life. And today is the start of us starting to unpack that together as a church. We've listened to you, we've prayed together, we've heard your feedback uh, and this is kind of the distillation of what's come out of that. And over the next um, 
five or six weeks, we're going to be thinking uh, about New Life Baptist Church, NLBC, New Life Base Camp. This is the image that we feel God's put in our hearts for us as a church. As we think about church, often we, we think about a building with bricks and mortar like this one or the one across the road. But when we look at the New Testament and read about Christ's church, it's not that at all. It's a body of people. And this man, Jesus, who created everything, comes into the midst of us and puts his tent up to spend time with us. That's the key message of the Bible. God has come to live with us. He doesn't force himself on us. He would never do that. We can choose whether to engage with him or not. But it is his heart's desire for him to be our God and for us to be his people. We see that in the Old Testament eh, when God called Abram earlier in the book of Genesis. He said to him, get your tent and make your way to the land that I am promising you. And I promise, I mean a covenant with you that I'm going to be with you and I'm going to bless you and the family that you're going to have. And then we see it again with Moses. This family that Abraham had grew and grew and grew. And then there was a famine and they ended up in the land of Egypt, starving. And then they ended up in slavery. And yet God had a plan still for this family. And so he called Moses and he said, get your tent and leave Egypt and make your way to the promised land and make sure this tent's big enough to accommodate me. That was the tabernacle we read about in the Old Testament. And God gave Moses very specific instructions for putting this together uh, in a way that allowed the people to journey carefully into his presence in the Holy of Holies. God likes camping. Anyone out there like camping? <laughs> God loves to put up a tent. He's not so much into buildings, but he loves to go camping with us. And when these people got to the promised land, they decided to build a temple. And they built it with the same dimensions and shape as the tabernacle that they had in the desert. And, and God came and dwelt there too. But the problem with that was that it, the temple became of a bit of a, an institution as, as man took over and God quietly got nudged out. And sometimes that's a problem with the church, if we're honest, as well. You join a movement and you end up in an institution. Uh, and that's a danger for church and for God's people down through the generations. And so it's significant when Jesus came that he pitched a tent in the neighborhood. So if you wanted to follow Jesus back then, you had to be on the move with him. And the same applies today. If we want to follow Jesus, we need to be a church on the move with him. We need to be NLBC, New Life Base Camp. Uh, and we're going to be using that image just to help us think about this adventure that God's called us to be on with his Son and his Holy Spirit. 
Base camp is important. It's where we gather together to get ready. But it's not the destination. It's not the summit. It is not where we are ultimately heading. Uh, So what happens at base camp? Well, first of all, I just want to say a big thank you to Katie Bambra. We gave her this idea uh, and had some thoughts around it. Uh, And this is the image, the graphic design image that Katie's designed for the church. So let's give Katie a round of applause this morning. I really like it. It's fresh uh, and dynamic. And it's got a pair of boots in front of it. And we'll come on to that uh, in due course. So if you think about base camp uh, and one of these uh, adventure expeditions, what is it that we do at base camp? Hopefully you can uh, see these words underneath New Life Base Camp. Well, um, four things, or five things really, We rest, don't we? When you get to base camp, you have a rest. You recover. You replenish your energies and you get renewed. And then you start to acclimatize. You breathe in uh, the air, uh, the the rarefied air of of the mountaintop. And then you say your prayers because, you know, you're on a journey and uh, it's going to be challenging. And then you prepare. You get ready to go. uh, And then you go. So, New Life Base Camp, four tent pegs and a pair of boots. We rest, we breathe, we pray, we prepare, and then we get our boots on and we go. So, first thing we do at base camp is rest. That's the first tent peg. First instruction from God to man, wonderfully, is to take the day off. Isn't that amazing? If you look at uh, the creation story in the book of Genesis, God uh, works hard all week for six days. Then on day six, he creates uh, man and woman, Adam and Eve. uh, And then he he has a rest the next day. Uh, And so that means Adam and Eve's uh, first day on planet Earth in the Garden of Eden was a day off. How good is that? How wonderful is that? That uh, God wants us to take the day off. He shows us in the very beginning it is good to rest and work. Both activities that are intrinsic to human nature. Unfortunately, mankind made a, a big mess of the work rest thing. And because of our sin, work and rest became a heavy burden for us, and it still is in many ways. And despite God's instructions, we found ourselves in a place, and find ourselves in a place is that we need more help with this. Instructions are, are not enough in and of themselves. We need to see what it looks like in the life of a real human being. And so, the Word became human and said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These words of Scripture, the words of the Word, Jesus, the Son of God, are like balm to our souls, aren't they? As you hear them this morning, I'm sure even just listening to them, they minister to us because we know deep down in our souls that that's what we need. We need to rest with the living God. Jesus pitches his tent in the midst of us and says, it's time for a brew. Maybe it was even Yorkshire tea. (laughs) Who knows? Sit down and take the load off. I think the the living rooms, which we're about to launch next month, are a, a wonderful example uh, of this. And it was wonderful uh, for uh, on Thursday afternoon, uh, all the ministers of the town uh, were invited by Steve and the team just to come and pray blessing on that space. And Thursday we had a, a wonderful time of uh, prayer together and some lovely tea and cake as well. It was, it was great. And uh, each minister was asked to uh, write a prayer uh, for the living room that would be left in the prayer room. And the prayer I wrote was called Holy Ground. And I think it helps us to understand what's going on here with Jesus when he invites us to come to him for a rest. Let me read it to you this morning. Holy Ground. A warm welcome and a cup of tea. A place to chat or just simply be. It's good to know I'm not alone. Father God. This is holy ground. I hear my name. It feels like home. I'm part of the family. Slippers on. I'm not okay. But that's okay. Because Father God, this is holy ground. Now then, God, please feel at home. Make these living rooms our safe place. A place to laugh and cry. And worship too. Father God, this is holy ground. So wherever we set up our base camps, and the living rooms is is one of them, together with other churches, which is a wonderful thing, Jesus says to us, come to me. Come to me in that place. Wherever your holy ground is, wherever your holy ground is, Come to me in that place, and I will show you how to become truly human. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples back then in the Bible when he was here. And that's what he offers each one of us today through his Spirit to take a rest, to come to him and find rest for our souls. Uh, to take off the yoke that's been put on us by this world or that we've put on ourselves, to take it off and put on the yoke of Jesus Christ because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I think Eugene Peterson says it like this. He won't put anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. It'll be tailor-made just to fit you the way God has made you. So let's be this kind of church, a safe place 
to meet with God, a holy ground. That takes us on to the next thing we do at base camp, which is breathe. As as wonderful that Pam stood up here and talked about breathing in and breathing out. It's like she was preaching the second point of my sermon. It was great. Thank you, Pam. That's the second tent peg. It's the second thing we do at base camp is we acclimatize. We adapt to breathing at a higher altitude or in a warmer climate. Not so warm today, but there you go. But I I love sport, and I I was watching the the World Athletics Championship a few weeks ago, and it was in Qatar, and the the place was boiling, wasn't it? And uh, that's not so easy for the British athletes who are not used to that kind of temperature. And so they had these enormous air conditioning units in the stadiums just to cool the place down a bit to help people acclimatize. We need to breathe in a different air, don't we? And after the resurrection, Jesus knew that his followers just wouldn't survive without his presence. After the cross, uh, they were distraught and they were, they were completely lost uh, without him. The hostile atmosphere was too hot for them to handle. They just could not acclimatize to it. What they needed was Jesus back, but he was going to heaven. They needed the life of God inside them, not just beside them. And so the word who had become human and dwelt among them uh, came to them uh, when they were all locked up, hiding from uh, the world around. And he said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, they became acclimatized to the kingdom of God. They started breathing in a different air, the new life of the kingdom, the new life of the Holy Spirit. They breathed in and out the life breath of God's Spirit. And they were all of a sudden good to go. They were good to go. Their fear replaced with the peace of God. And as a result, their closed, their little closed worship group poured out on the day of Pentecost onto the streets of Jerusalem. And things were never the same again. People saw and heard the wonders of God in their own language. They repented of their sin, got baptized, and began to breathe in and out the new life of God's Spirit. Do you want some of that today? I certainly do. Do you want to be transformed from the inside out by the beautiful presence of the Spirit of God? Then all you have to do is repent. Turn around. That's what repent means. Turn around and go a different way, the Jesus way. Get baptized and follow Jesus Christ. And he will breathe his Holy Spirit into the heart of your life and you too will be good to go. So let me just pray for a moment. 
And if you want the Holy Spirit to fill you for the first time or afresh this morning, just pray this prayer with me now. Lord, I pray, come Holy Spirit. We pray for this church and I pray for the people of this church and we pray for ourselves, Lord. Come Holy Spirit. I turn around from going the wrong way. Holy Spirit, fill me to overflowing. Cleanse me from my sin, the things that I've done wrong, by the power of your cross, and help me to follow the Lord day by day. Enable me to breathe in the kingdom life of heaven. And Holy Spirit, overthrow this life from my life into the people around me. Amen. Invite God's Spirit to fill you day by day. Get baptized and follow Jesus. And if you've not been baptized, then speak to someone here at church, someone you know. Come and speak to Steve or myself or one of the leaders. Get baptized and follow Jesus. It's the best thing you will ever do. Let's be this kind of church, full of the life breath of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us on to pray. That's the third uh, tent peg, and it's right there at the center of these five words. That's the next thing we do at base camp. We say our prayers because there's a challenge ahead and we can't do it on our own. We need God's help. Jesus has called us to follow him. And we need all the help we can get to do that. Following Jesus is not, it is not the easy option. On the contrary, it is the most challenging option and also the most rewarding. The disciples could see it when they watched Jesus praying that his prayer life was different. It was different to theirs. They could see that Jesus had a close and intimate relationship with God, his Father. And they wanted that too. As John puts it in his gospel, they'd seen his glory. The, the shining glory from heaven, from God the Father. The glory of the one and only Son sent from the Father. They wanted Jesus to teach them how to pray and so he said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life as it is in heaven. And through this prayer, Jesus invites us into the presence of our Father God. And that is a wonderful thing. We come to God our Father. We don't have to uh, journey through the tabernacle anymore, uh, making sacrifices that's already been done by Jesus on the cross once for all. We can go direct through Christ into the presence of our Abba Father. Anytime, anywhere, any day, we have free access to God because of his son, Jesus. And we don't go as servants not once a year only, but freely, whenever we like, 
as his sons and daughters. Isn't that amazing? We're adopted into the family of God. We are Jesus' little brothers and sisters. And through his work on the cross, Jesus has given us free access to the glorious presence of God our Father. So let me ask you a question this morning. How often are you using that access? How often are you going into the presence of God your Father? How often are you conversing with him, listening to him, reading his word, praying, talking to him as you go through your day? How often are you using that free access that cost God the Father, God your Father, and God the Son, absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. When I ask myself that question, I'm a, I'm a little bit embarrassed. I'm a little bit embarrassed. But God's not harsh. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. And he's always there beckoning us closer. No matter how many times we mess up and get it wrong and wander off, he's always there calling us by, always there running after us. Let's, let's do that more often. Because the more time we spend in God's presence, the more of his glory we will reflect. And Moses is one example of this. You know, when they were journeying through the desert, he had a little tent and he would go outside the camp and he'd pitch his tent and he'd go into that tent and he'd meet with God face to face. What a privilege. Face to face with God. God spoke to Moses as a friend. That's what it tells us in the Bible. And when he came out of that tent, his face was shining. It was shining because he was in the glorious presence of God his Father. And he just reflected some of that glory back to the people around him. And that's what we have to be like as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Let's be like Moses. Pitch your tent and meet with God wherever you want that tent to be, wherever it is your little place. Spend more time there. And uh, as we've been hearing from Sue, don't forget to mentor the next generation in prayer. Get alongside someone and say, let's pray together. I know many of you do that already. That's what Moses did. Because he had a young aide, a young mentee, as we would probably call it today. And his name was Joshua. And his young aide, Joshua, never left the tent. Imagine that. Moses would come back out to get on with his work. Uh, and, you know, his helper, Joshua, just stayed there in the presence of God. And, and no wonder that man was used mightily by God to take his people into the promised land after Moses died. Because he knew God. Because he spent time with them. This is not rocket science. And let's be this kind of church. A church which knows, which knows our Abba Father. You know, we can um, do all the good discipleship stuff, which is great. And, you know, I'm not knocking that. We need to do it. We can know all about God and not know God. Did you know that? You can tick all the boxes. And your, your theology can be squeaky clean straight down the middle. 
um, or we might like to think that, uh, but still not know God. Yes, we need to delve into God's Word, learn about His Word, but we need to get to know the man behind it. That's why Jesus came. Let's be this kind of church, a church which knows our Abba Father like Jesus did, like Moses did, like Joshua did. And then, yeah, we can go on and prepare. That's the fourth tent peg. And it's the next thing we do at base camp as we prepare. We get ready to go, to continue on our adventures in God's kingdom. Whether it was fishing for fish or fishing for men and women, turns out Jesus was the best at all of these things. How galling must that have been for uh, Peter and his experienced fishing crew to discover that this traveling rabbi who you know, casually stood on the shoreline and said, oh, why don't you try fishing over the other side of your boat? What an idiot, eh? And yet when that happened, you know, they caught the biggest catch of fish ever. This traveling rabbi, turns out, was better at fishing than them. And uh, whatever it is you do, Jesus is better at it than you are. Uh, and, and so that tells us something really simple, doesn't it? Uh, let's not forget to ask for Jesus' help in prayer for whatever it is we do. So often we forget to do that because we're, we've got so many resources ourselves. You know, we, we may be clever, we may have learned a lot, we may have been to university, we've held down big jobs or whatever. Uh, we know how to do stuff. Uh, well, by the way, that, that might be true, but Jesus knows how to do it better. Uh, and sometimes we'll just do things the wrong way, thinking we know how to do stuff. So let's stop and ask. Let's ask him how to fish. Even on their territory, Jesus was the man. And he didn't do this to humiliate them. He, d- he did it to show them that it, this is all God's kingdom. It's all his Everywhere he set his foot was Jesus. He was taking it back from the devil. The wind and the waves obeyed him. Demons obeyed him. Even the fish were happy to be caught by him. What a God. And so this man, the word of God in person, represented the glory of God his Father to us full of grace and truth. He says to Peter and Andrew and James and John, come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. And that's what he did. They began to follow Jesus and on the way, he taught them. He prepared them and then sent them out in twos to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. You know, he did that very early on. And, not, and I, I think there's something there for us to learn too. We need to quickly send our people out in twos uh, so that they can encourage and support each other uh, to do what God has called us to do. Because at the end of the day, it's not our power that we do it with. It's God's power. It's the Holy Spirit. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. 
In other words, he showed them what grace and truth looked and sounded like in real life and how it captured the hearts and minds of the people around them. Jesus was full of stuff. He was full of grace and truth and he imparted it to his disciples and then said, off you go. Let's be this kind of church. Let's get out there, and I know you already do, and put what the Lord Jesus is teaching us into practice. There's a little group that meets here on the Friday that Jim leads, and they gather around the Bible, and I love just to watch what's going on. It's people from all walks of life, all sorts, from this church, but they just love God's word, and they gather around it, and then off they go out uh, into their Friday afternoon uh, to share what they've learned. This is what we have to do. It's, it's, it's not super complex. It's simple. We learn from Jesus' teaching and then we get out there and put it into practice. So let's prepare with a purpose. We've not just to learn how to fish. We have to go and do it. We have to catch fish. Sharing the grace and truth, the love and faithfulness. That's all the testament equivalent of grace and truth the love and faithfulness of the lord everywhere we go everywhere we go and then lastly yes we go this isn't a tent peg it's a a pair of boots and uh, thanks to rob campbell for this image at a previous was it a prayer and vision meeting that you shared right okay uh, yeah, uh, Rob shared with us in our devotions one time about the new wineskins and that how we've to, we, for new wine, we need to have new wineskins to allow the kingdom to expand. And that's where this image of the tent came, came from because we can stretch out our tent pegs, can't we? Uh, and he also talked about his old boots and that he, his climbing boots that he loved. Uh, but they were starting to leak. And so he had to buy a new pair of boots which initially were uncomfortable as he kind of, you know, wore them in and did a few miles with them. And he, he wanted to go back to his old boots, but they were leaky boots and he had to stick with the new ones. And eventually he loved his new boots. How are they going? They're good. <laughs> Excellent. I must get up here. <laughs> and that's what these boots are about. Because, uh, you know, we don't just stay in base camp. We get out there and go. We put our boots on and we go. Jesus calls us to go on adventure with him. And isn't that great? This isn't a dull, boring faith that a lot of people think it is. It is exciting and adventurous. And we have to fill our boots. We have to fill our boots with grace and truth. We have to put them on and then go and make disciples of all nations, as Jesus has called us to do. That's exactly what happened after he commissioned those first disciples they all went off in different directions. One went this way and another went that way. Peter ended up in uh, Jerusalem and I think James ended up there as well. Uh, John, he ended up in Turkey and Ephesus. Some of you have been to Ephesus to see what went on there. Uh, they went all over the place. Thomas went to Iraq and then India and he was martyred there. Uh, you know, and they, this wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. They weren't going the wrong way. They were going where the Spirit was leading them to different places and different groups of people, fulfilling Jesus' command to go to all nations. And this is still our remit. 
It is still our remit. None of us have to do it all, thank God, but each of us is called to go where the Lord sends us. And no one is exempt from that. Your workplace, your school, your university, your neighborhood, your family, the new housing, the living rooms, uh, the Syrian refugees who we're welcoming to this town, street angels on a Saturday night, New Life Ghana, New Life Romania, pitching our tent with Jesus, New Life base camps everywhere we go. And as we go, Jesus says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's what this meal, this communion meal is all about. It is a reminder of Jesus and what he's done for us. It reminds us that Jesus died on the cross for you and me to set us free, to go on adventure with the Lord. And it reminds us that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. Every time we eat this meal, we're reminded the Lord's with us. And it also reminds us that this is a meal to go. It's a takeaway to be shared with others. We eat it, therefore, with our boots on. Just like the Passover meal, the Jewish people ate that first Passover, that's a first Passover meal with with their cloaks on, ready to go, because God was leading them to freedom. He was leading them to the promised land. We eat this meal with our boots on, because it is a supper of grace and truth, and it's ready to go. Jesus Um, through Paul says to us whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes that's what we're doing this morning that's what we invite you to share with us this morning this simple meal and if you've never met the Lord and you want to meet him then uh, as we're sharing this meal together just take the bread and wine And come to the cross and say, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for your body given for me, which this bread represents. And your blood shed for me, which this wine represents. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive me, heal me, transform me. And send me out of here with my boots on to share your good news. Let's be this kind of church. Always good to go with the blessed grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we we thank you for this meal, this wonderful meal that you've, you've given us to remember. And we look back to your cross, Lord, and we say thank you. Thank you that you've won the victory. You've brought love and grace and truth into our lives. We praise your name. And we thank you that you're here with us by your Spirit, celebrating this meal with us today. And we look forward to when you will return, Lord Jesus, and we will see you in all your glory face to face. 
We look forward to that day, but in the meantime, we share this meal regularly with each other, reminding ourselves that you have come to bless us and bless those around us. As we share this meal of grace and truth, love and faithfulness, nourish us this day, we pray in your beautiful name. Amen.